0: section five of catherine lauderdale volume two by francis marion crawford this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by lynn thompson chapter twenty catherine looked in vain for ralston near the door of the ballroom that night as she entered with her mother passed up to curtsy to one of the ladies whose turn it was to receive and slowly crossed the polished floor to the other side he was nowhere to be seen and immediately she felt a little chill of apprehension as though something had warned her that he was in trouble the sensation was merely the result of her disappointment hitherto even to that very afternoon he had always shown himself to be the most scrupulously exact and punctual man of her acquaintance and it was natural enough that the fact of his not appearing at such an important juncture as the present should seem very strange Catherine, however attributed what she felt to be a presentiment of evil and afterwards remembered it as though it had been something like a supernatural warning when she had assured herself that he was really not at the ball her first impulse was to ask every one she met if he had been seen and as that was impossible she looked about for some member of the family who might enlighten her And of whom she might ask questions without exciting curiosity it was not an easy matter however to find just such a person as should fulfill the requirements of the case hamilton bright or frank minor would have answered her purpose and it was just possible that one or both of them might appear at a later hour though neither of them were men who danced crowdie would come of course with his wife but she felt that she could not ask him questions about ralston and hester would hardly be likely to know anything of the latter's movements it was quite out of the question for katherine to sit in a quiet corner under one of the galleries and watch the door as a cat watches the hole from which she expects a mouse to appear she was too much surrounded by the tribe of high collared broad tied smooth-faced empty-headed and very young men who in an American ballroom make it more or less their business to inflict their company upon the most beautiful young girl present at any one time Older men would often be only too glad to talk with her and she would prefer them to her bevy of half-fledged admirers But the older man naturally shrinks from intruding himself amongst a circle of very young people and systematically keeps away on the whole too the young girls enjoy themselves exceedingly well and do not complain of their following at last however katherine determined to speak to her mother she had seen the latter in close conversation with crowdie that was natural enough crowdie thought more of beauty than of any other gift and if mrs lauderdale had been a doll which she was not he would always have spent half an hour with her if he could merely for the sake of studying her face She was very beautiful tonight, and there was no fear of a repetition of the scene which had occurred by the fireplace in Clinton Place on Monday night. It seemed as though she had recalled the dazzling freshness of other days, not long past, it is true, by an act of will determined to be supreme to the very end. She knew it, too. She was conscious that the lights were exactly what they should be, that the temperature was perfect— her gown could not fit her better and that she had arrived feeling fresh and rested charlotte's visit had done her good also for charlotte had made herself very charming on that afternoon as will be remembered by those who have had the patience to follow the minor events of the long day even her husband had been more than usually unbending and agreeable at dinner and it was probably her appearance which had produced that effect on him like most strong and masculine men, whatever be their characters, he was very really affected by woman's beauty. For some time he had silently regretted the change in his wife's appearance, and this evening he had noticed the return of that brilliancy which had attracted him long ago. He had even kissed her before his daughter when he had put on her cloak for her, which was a very rare occurrence. Crowdie had seen Mrs. Lauderdale, as soon as he had left Hester to her first partner, and had been at liberty to wander after his own devices, and had immediately gone to her. Catherine had observed this, for she had good eyes, and few things within her range of vision escaped her. Naturally enough, too, she had glanced at her mother more than once, and had seen that the latter was evidently much interested by some story which Crowdie was telling— her own mind being entirely occupied with Ralston, it was not surprising that she should imagine that they were talking of him. She watched her opportunity, and when Crowdie at last left her mother's side, went to her immediately. They were a wonderful pair as they stood together for a few moments, and many people watched them. Mrs. Lauderdale, who was especially conscious of the admiration she was receiving that night, felt so vain of herself that she did not attempt to avoid the comparison, but drew herself up proudly to her great height in the full view of everyone, and as though remembering and repenting of the bitter envy she had felt at Catherine's youth, even as lately as the previous day, she looked down calmly and lovingly into the girl's face. Catherine was not in the least aware that anyone was looking at them, nor did she imagine any comparison possible between her mother and herself Her faults of character certainly did not lie in the direction of personal vanity Many people too thought that she was not looking her best as the phrase goes on that evening While others said that she had never looked as well before She was transparently pale with that fresh pallor Which is not unbecoming in youth and health when it is natural or the result of an emotion the whiteness of her face made her deep grey eyes seem larger and deeper than ever and the broad dark eyebrows gave a look of power to the features which was striking in one so young passion anxiety the alterations of hope and fear even the sense of unwanted responsibility may all enhance beauty when they are of short duration though in time they must destroy it or modify its nature spiritualizing or materializing it according to the objects and reason from which they proceed the beauty of napoleon's death mask is very different from that of goethe's yet both perhaps at widely different ages Approached as nearly to perfection of feature as humanity ever can Well child have you come back to me asked mrs. Lauderdale with a smile there was nothing affected in her manner, for she had too long been first, yet she knew that her smile was not lost on others. She could feel that the eyes of many were on her, and she had a right to be as handsome as she could. Even Catherine was struck by the wonderful return of youth. "'You're perfectly beautiful tonight, mother,' she exclaimed in genuine admiration. There was something in the whole-hearted, spontaneous expression of approval from her own daughter— which did more to assure the elder woman of her appearance than all Crowdy's compliments could have done. Catherine rarely said such things. "'You're not at all ugly yourself to-night, my dear,' laughed Mrs. Lauderdale. "'You're a little pale, but it's very becoming. "'What's the matter? Are you out of breath? "'Have you been dancing too long?' "'I didn't know that I was pale,' answered Catherine. "'No, I'm not out of breath, not anything.' I just came over to you because I saw you were alone for a moment. By the by, mother, have you seen Jack anywhere?' It was not very well done, and it was quite clear that she had crossed the big ballroom solely for the purpose of asking the question. Mrs. Lauderdale hesitated an instant before giving any answer, and she had a puzzled expression. "'No,' she said at last. "'I've not seen him. I don't believe he's here. In fact—' She was a truthful woman. In fact, I'm quite sure he's not. Did you expect him? Of course, answered Catherine, in a low voice. He always comes. She knew her mother's face very well, and was at once convinced that she had been right in supposing that Crowdie had been speaking of Ralston. She saw the painter at some distance and tried to catch his glance and bring him to her, but he suddenly turned away and went off in the opposite direction she reflected that crowdie did not pass for a discreet or reticent person and if there were anything especial to be told he had doubtless confided it to his wife before coming to the ball she looked about for hester but could not see her at first neither could she discover bright or minor in the moving crowd she stood quietly by her mother for a time glad to escape momentarily from her usual retinue of beardless young dandies Mrs. Lauderdale seemed to hesitate as to whether she should say any more. The story Crowley had told her was a very strange one, she thought, and she herself doubted the accuracy of the details. And he had exacted a sort of promise of secrecy from her, which, in her experience, was generally meant that a part, or the whole of what was told, might be untrue. Nevertheless, she had never thought that the painter was a spiteful person, She was puzzled, therefore, but she very soon resolved that she should tell Catherine nothing, which was, after all, the wisest plan. Just then a tall, lean man made his way up to her and bowed rather stiffly. He was powerfully made, and moved like a person more accustomed to motion than to rest. He had a weather-beaten, kindly face, clean-shaven, thin, and bony. His features were decidedly ugly, though by no means repulsive. His hair was thick and iron-gray, and he was about fifty years of age. Mrs. Lauderdale gave him her hand, and seemed glad to see him. "'Mr. Griggs, my daughter,' she said, introducing him to Catherine, who had immediately recognised him, for she had seen him at a distance on the previous evening at the Thirlwalls' dance. Paul Griggs bowed again in his stiff, rather foreign way, and Catherine smiled and bent her head a little she had always wished she might meet him for she had read some of his books and liked them and he was reported to have led a very strange life and to have been everywhere i saw you talking to mrs crowdie said mrs lauderdale she's charming isn't she yes answered mr griggs in a deep manly voice but without any special emphasis very he repeated vaguely "'She was a mere girl, not out yet, when I was last at home,' he added, suddenly showing some interest. "'By-the-bye, where is she?' asked Catherine, in the momentary pause which followed. "'I was looking for her.' "'Over there,' replied Mr. Griggs, nodding almost imperceptibly in the direction he meant to indicate. "'As he was over six feet in height, and could see over the heads of most of the people, Catherine had not gained any very accurate information.' "'You can see her,' he continued in explanation. "'She's sitting up among the frumps. She's looking for her husband. And there's a man with yellow hair talking to her. It's her brother, over there, between the first and second windows from the end, where the music is. Do you make her out?' "'Yes. How can you tell that she is looking for her husband at this distance?' Catherine laughed. "'By her eyes,' answered Mr. Griggs. "'She's in love with him, you know, and she's anxious about him, for some reason or other.' "'But I believe he's all right now. "'I used to know him very well in Paris, once upon a time. "'Clever fellow, but he had—oh, well, it's nobody's business. "'What a beautiful ball it is, Mrs. Lauderdale.' "'What did Mr. Crowdie have in Paris?' asked Catherine, "'with sudden interest, and interrupting him. "'Oh, he was subject to bad colds in winter,' answered Mr. Griggs coolly. "'Lungs affected, I believe, or something of that sort.' as i was saying mrs lauderdale this is a vast improvement on the dances they used to have in new york when i was young that was long before your time though i dare say your husband can remember them and he went on speaking evidently making conversation of a most unprofitable kind in the most cold-blooded and cynical manner by sheer force of habit as people who have the manners of the world without its interests often do until something strikes them a young man, whose small head seemed to have just been squeezed through the cylinder of enamelled linen, on which it rested, as on a pedestal, came up to Catherine and asked her for a dance. She went away on his arm. After a couple of turns she made him stop close to Hester Crowdie. "'Thanks,' she said, nodding to her partner. "'I want to speak to my cousin. You don't mind, do you? I'll give you the rest of the dance some other time.' And, without waiting for his answer, she stepped upon the low platform— which ran round the ballroom, and took the vacant seat by Hester's side. Hamilton Bright, who had only been exchanging a word with his sister when Griggs had caught sight of him, was gone, and she was momentarily alone. "'Hester,' began Catherine, "'where is Jack Ralston? I'm perfectly sure your husband knows and has told you, and I know that he has told my mother from the way she spoke.' "'How did you guess that?' Asked Mrs. Crowdie, starting a little at the first words. But I'm sorry if he has spoken to your mother about it. She stopped suddenly, feeling that she had made a mistake. She was very nervous herself that evening, and as Griggs had said, she was anxious about her husband. There was no real foundation for her anxiety, but since her recent experience, she was very easily frightened. Crowdie had spoken excitedly to her about Ralston's conduct at the club that afternoon and she had fancied that there was something unusual in his look. "'Oh, Hester, what is it?' asked Catherine, bending nearer to her and laying a hand on hers. "'Don't look so awfully frightened, dear,' Hester smiled, but not very naturally. "'It's nothing very serious. In fact, I believe it's only that when Walter saw him at the club late this afternoon, and got the idea that he wasn't—quite—well—not well? Is he ill?' "'Where is he—at home?' Catherine asked the questions all in a breath, with no suspicion that Hester had softened the truth almost altogether into something else. "'I suppose he's at home, since he's not here,' answered Mrs. Crowdie, wishing that she had said so at first, and had said nothing more. "'Oh, Hester, what is it? I know it's something dreadful,' cried Catherine. "'I shall go and ask Mr. Crowdie if you won't tell me.' "'Don't!' exclaimed mrs crowdie so quickly and so loudly that the people near her turned to see what was the matter you've told me now he must be very ill or you wouldn't speak like that Catherine's lips began to turn white and she half rose from her seat mrs crowdie drew her back again very gently no dear no i assure you i give you my word it's not that dear oh i'm so sorry i said anything Catherine yielded and resumed her seat hester what is it she asked very gravely for the third time you're my best friend the only friend i have besides him if it's anything bad i'd much rather hear it from you but i can't stand this suspense i shall ask everybody until somebody tells me the truth mrs Crowdie seemed to reflect for a moment before answering but even while she was thinking of what she should say her passionate eyes sought for her husband's pale face in the crowd. The pale face and the red lips that so many women thought repulsive. "'Dear,' she said at last, "'it's foolish to make such a fuss and to frighten you. That sort of thing has happened to almost all men at one time or another. Really, you know, you mustn't blame Jack too much.' "'For what? For what? Speak, Hester, don't try to—' "'Katherine, darling—' walter says that jack was well you know just a little far gone and they had some trouble with him at the club i don't know it seems that my brother tried to hold him for some reason or other it's not quite clear and jack threw ham down there in the hall of the club before a lot of people katherine dearest i'm so sorry i spoke katherine was leaning back against the cushion her hands folded together and her face set like a mask but she said nothing, and scarcely seemed to be listening, though she heard every word. "'Of course, dear,' continued Mrs. Crowdy, "'I know you love him, but you mustn't think any the worst of him for this. Ham just told me it wasn't—well, it wasn't as bad as Walter made out, and he wasn't very angry with Walter for telling me, as though he would keep anything from me.' She stopped again, being much more inclined to talk of Crowdie than of Ralston and to defend his indiscretion katherine did not move nor change her position and her eyes looked straight before her though it was clear that they saw nothing i'm glad it was you who told me she said in a low monotonous tone so am i answered her friend sympathetically and i'm sure it's not half as bad as they they all know it continued katherine not heeding her I can see it in their eyes when they look at me. "'Nonsense, Catherine. Nobody but Walter and Ham.' "'Your husband told my mother, too. She spoke very oddly. He's been telling everyone. Why does he want to make trouble? Does he hate Jack so?' "'Hate him? No, indeed. I think he's rather fond of him.' "'It's a very treacherous sort of fondness, then,' answered Catherine, with a bitter little laugh, and changing her position at last, so that she looked into her friend's face." katharine exclaimed hester how can you talk like that telling me that walter is treacherous oh you mustn't mind what i say i'm a little upset i didn't mean to hurt you dear Catherine rose and without another word she left her friend and began to go up the side of the room alone looking for someone as she went in a moment one of her numerous young adorers was by her side he had seen her talking to mrs crowdie and had watched his opportunity "'No,' said Catherine absently, and without looking at him. "'I don't want to dance, thanks. "'I want to find my cousin, Hamilton Bright. "'Have you seen him?' "'Oh! ha! Uh, "'Yes,' answered the young man, with an imitation of the advanced English manner of twenty years ago, which seems to have become the ideal of our gilded youth of to-day. "'He's in the corner under the balcony. "'He's been—er, uh, rather—' "'leathering into Crowdie, you know, for talking about Jack Ralston's last all over the place. "'I dare say you've heard of it, Miss Lauderdale, being, um, a cousin of your own, too. "'No end game, that Ralston chap!' Catherine lost her temper suddenly. She stopped and looked at the young dandy in the eyes. He never forgot the look of hers, nor the paleness of her lips as she spoke.' "'You're rather young to speak like that of older men, Mr. Vanderwater,' she said. She coolly turned her back on the annihilated youth, and walked away from him alone, almost as surprised at what she had done as he was. He, poor boy, got very red in the face, stood still, helped himself into countenance by sticking a single glass in his eye, and then went in search of his dearest friend, the man who had just discovered that extraordinary tailor in New Burlington Street, you know. Catherine had been half stunned by what Hester Crowdie had told her, which she felt instinctively was not more than a moiety of the truth. She had barely recovered her self-possession when she was met by what rang like an insult in her ears. It was no wonder that her blood boiled without looking to the right or to the left she went forward till she was under the great balcony and there by one of the pillars she came upon bright and crowdie talking together in low excited tones bright's big shoulders slowly heaved as in his anger he took about twice as much breath as he needed into his lungs at every sentence his fresh pink face was red and his bright blue eyes flashed visibly what the young dandy had said was evidently true he was still leathering into Crowdie with all his might which was considerable Crowdie, perfectly cool and collected leaned against the wooden pillar with a disagreeable sneer on his red mouth One hand was in his pocket the other hung by his side and his fingers quietly tapped a little measure upon the fluted column Almost everyone has that trick of tapping upon something in moments of anxiety or uncertainty but the way in which it is done is very characteristic of the individual crowdie's pointed white fingers did it delicately drawing back lightly from contact with the wood as a woman's might or as though he were playing upon a fine instrument it's just like you walter bright was saying to go about telling the thing to all the women didn't i tell you this afternoon that i was the principal person concerned that it was my business and not yours and that if i wished it kept quiet nobody need tell and you said yourself that you hoped hester might not hear it and then the very first thing i find is that you've told her and cousin emma and probably Catherine herself no i've not told Catherine," said Crowdie calmly i shan't because she loves him the lord knows why Drunken beast, I shall leave the club myself since he's not to be turned out. Crowdie stopped suddenly, for he was more timid than most men, and his face plainly expressed fear at that moment, but not of Hamilton Bright. Catherine Lauderdale was looking at him over Bright's shoulder and had plainly heard what he had said. A man's fear of woman under certain circumstances exceeds his utmost possible fear of man the painter knew at once that he had accidentally done catherine something like a mortal injury he felt as a man must feel who has accidentally shot someone while playing with a loaded pistol as for catherine this was the third blow she had received within five minutes the fact that she was in a measure prepared for it had not diminished its force it had the effect however of quenching her rising anger instead of further inflaming it as young van water's foolish remarks had done she began to feel that she had a real calamity to face something against which mere anger would have no effect she heard every word crowley said and each struck her with cruel precision in the same aching spot but she drew herself up proudly as she came between the two men there was something almost queenly in the quiet dignity with which she affected to ignore what she had heard "'even trying to give her white lips the shadow of a civil smile as she spoke. "'Mr. Crowdie, I wish to speak to Hamilton a moment. "'You don't mind, do you?' Crowdie looked at her with undisguised amazement and admiration. "'He uttered some polite but half inaudible words and moved away, "'glad, perhaps, to get out of the sphere of Bright's invective. "'Bright understood very well that Catherine had heard— and admired her calmness almost as much as Crowdie did, though he did not know as much as the latter, concerning Catherine's relations with Ralston. Hester Crowdie, who told her husband everything, had told him most of what Catherine had confided to her, not considering it a betrayal of confidence, because she trusted him implicitly. No day of disenchantment had yet come for her, won't you come and sit down? asked Bright rather anxiously. There's a corner there. Yes, said Catherine, moving in the direction of the vacant seats. I'm afraid you heard what that brute said, Bright remarked before they had reached the place. If I'd seen you coming it wouldn't have made any difference, Catherine answered. Then they sat down side by side. "'It's much too serious a matter to be angry about,' she continued, settling herself and looking at his face, and feeling that it was a relief to see a pair of honest blue eyes at last. "'That's why I come to you. It happened to you, it seems. Everybody is talking about it, and I have some right to know.' She hesitated, and then continued. "'He's a near relation, and all that, of course. And whatever he does makes a difference to us all. My mother has heard, too.' "'I'm sure Mr. Crowdy told her, didn't he?' "'I believe so,' answered Bright. "'He's just like a—' "'Oh, well, I'll swear at him when I'm alone.' "'I'm glad you're angry with him,' said Catherine, "'and her eyes flashed a little. "'It's so mean. "'But that's not the question. "'I want to know from your own lips what happened "'and why he's not here. "'I have a right to know because—' "'Because we were going to dance the cotillion together. "'And besides—' she hesitated again and stopped altogether this time it's very natural i'm sure said bright who was not the type of men who seek confidences crowdie has made it all out much worse than it was he's a uh, i mean i wish i'd met him when i was driving cattle in the nasimiento valley catherine had never seen bright so angry before and the sight was very soothing and comforting to her she fully concurred in bright's last expressed wish "'You're Jack's best friend, aren't you?' she asked. "'Oh, well, a friend. He always says he hasn't any. "'But I dare say I'd do as much for him as most of them, though, if I had to. "'I always liked the fellow for his dash, and we generally get on very well together. "'He's just a trifle lively sometimes, and he doesn't go well on the curb when he's had—when he's too lively.' "'Why don't you say when he drinks?' asked Catherine, biting on the words, as it were— "'though she forced herself to say them. "'Well, he doesn't drink exactly,' said Bright. "'He's got an awfully strong head and a cast-iron constitution. "'But he's a queer chap. "'He gets melancholy and thinks he's a failure "'and tries to cheer himself up with cocktails. "'And then, you see, having such a nerve, "'he doesn't know exactly how many he takes. "'And there's a limit, of course. "'And the last one does the trick.' Then he won't take anything to speak of for days together He got a little too much on board last Monday, but that was excusable And I hadn't seen him that way for a long time. I dare say you heard of it he saved a boy's life between a lot of carts and horse cars and Got a bad fall and then quite naturally just as I should have done myself He swallowed a big dose of something and it went to his head, but he went straight home in a cab So I suppose it was all right It was a pretty brave thing he did. Talk of baseball. It was one of the smartest bits of fielding I ever saw. The way he caught up the little chap and the dog and the perambulator. Forgot nothing, though it was a close shave. Oh, he's brave enough. It's a pity he can't find anything to do. Monday, repeated Catherine thoughtfully. Yes, I heard about it. Go on, please, Ham. About today, I want to hear everything there is. Oh, Crowdie talks like a fool about it. I suppose Jack was a little depressed or something, and had been trying to screw himself up a bit. Anyway, he looked rather wild, and I tried to persuade him to stay a little while before going out of the club. It was in the hall, you know. I behave like an ass myself. You know I'm awfully obstinate. He really did look a little wild, though. I held his arm, just like that, you know. He laid his broad hand upon Catherine's glove, And then, somehow, we got fooling together, there in the hall, and he tripped me up on my back and ran out. It was all over in a minute, and I was rather angry at the time, because Crowdie and Little Frank Minor were there, and a couple of servants. But I give you my word, I didn't say anything beyond making them all four swear that they wouldn't tell. "'And this is the result,' said Catherine, with a sigh. "'What was that he said about being turned out of the club?' Crowdie, Oh, some nonsense or other. He felt his ladyship offended, because there had been a bit of a wrestling match in the hall of his club, that's all, and said he meant to leave it. No, but about Jack being turned out. It's all nonsense of Crowdy's. Men are turned out of a club for cheating at cards and that sort of thing. Besides, Jack's popular with most of the men. I don't believe you could get a committee to sit on his offenses not if he locked the oldest member up in the ice chest and threw the billiard table out of the window he says he has no friends but it's all bosh, you know everybody likes him except that doughy brother-in-law of mine Catherine was momentarily comforted by brights account of the matter delivered in his familiar uncompromising fashion but she was very far from regaining her composure she saw that bright was purposely making light of the matter and in the course of the silence which lasted several minutes after he had finished speaking it all looked worse than it had looked before she had known the exact truth she felt too an instinct of repulsion from Ralston, which she had never known nor dreamed possible could he not have controlled himself a few hours longer it was their wedding day Twelve hours had not passed from the time when they had left the church together until he had been drunk Positively drunk to the point of knocking down his best friend in such a place as a club She could not deny the facts even Hamilton bright kind more than kind devoted Did not attempt to conceal the fact that Ralston had been what he called Lively and if bright could not try to make him out to have been sober who could? and they had been married that morning if he had been sober the word cut her like a whip if he had been sober they would at that very moment have been sitting together planning their future perhaps in that very corner she did not know all yet either the clock was striking twelve it was about at that time that john ralston was brought into his mother's house by a couple of policemen who had found his card-case in his pocket and had the sense With the hope of a handsome fee to bring him home insensible stunned almost to death with the blow he had received They had waked him roughly the conductor and the other man who was really a prize fighter at the end of the run in front of the horse car stables And John had struck out before he was awake as some excitable men do The fight had followed as a matter of course out in the snow the professional had not meant to hurt him but had lost his temper when john had reached him and cut his lip and the right-handed counter had settled the matter a heavy right-hander just under john's left ear the policemen said they had picked him up out of a drunken brawl according to them everybody was drunk ralston the prize-fighter who had paid five dollars to be left in peace after the adventure the conductor the driver and every living thing on the scene of action including the wretched horses of the car There was a short account of the affair in the morning papers, but only one or two of them mentioned Ralston's name Catherine had yet much to learn about the doings of her wedding day when she suddenly announced her intention of going home before the ball was over Hester Crowdy took her in her own carriage and mrs. Lauderdale and Crowdie stayed till the end now, against all this chain of evidence, including that of several men who had met John in Fifth Avenue about six o'clock, with no overcoat and his hat badly smashed, against the evidence that would have hanged a man ten times over in a murder case, stood the plain fact, which nobody but Ralston knew, and which no one would ever believe, the plain fact that he had drunk nothing at all. End of Chapter 20